Uh, we're going to be continuing our series in Galatians today. We're going to be considering verses 13 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read it, I'll pray, and then we'll dive in together. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Hear the word of God. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word which you have given to us this morning. We pray that it would fall like rain and it would water each of our hearts and that those of us who know you, it would produce renewed faith and repentance and obedience. And Father, for all of us, that we would come face to face with Jesus this morning, and that who he is and what he has done would overwhelm us, that we would respond as we ought to respond by looking to and trusting in him, following him faithfully all the days of this week. So we commit this time to you and pray that you bless uh, the opening of your word. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. As we dive in this morning, I think it's important to know that this conversation from Galatians chapter 5 is just uh, part number 2 from the conversation that Noah began last week at the beginning of this chapter. Uh, we, we can't talk about what we see here in Galatians 5, 13 through the end of the chapter without referencing what it was that Noah said for us last week. And so I want to very quickly just recap the foundation of the beginning half of the chapter as we're just going to be building off of it and launching from it here this morning. Last week we saw in the first half of Galatians 5 a few things. And one was this, that Jesus wants us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. Jesus wants us free. His mission is one of liberation. Secondly, that Jesus wants us to experience this freedom. He doesn't just want to objectively make us free. He wants us to experience and live out this freedom that he's won for us. 
We saw as well that Jesus frees us from obedience as a means of attaining righteousness and that Jesus frees us for obedience as a means of living out the righteousness that we've received by faith. And so if you notice, there was a key word in each of that, freedom. This chapter, the second half of Galatians, is all about the freedom that Christ has won for us. And the natural question that begins to arise, and the one that we're going to address this morning is simply this. If this is what Jesus wants for us, how do we live out this freedom? If Jesus desires freedom for us, how do we live as free? And in our section here, Paul gives us uh, two strategies, if you want to say it that way, for living in the freedom that Jesus has won for us. In verses 13 to 15, we'll see that if we're going to live free, we have to reject the bondage of self-centeredness. And then secondly, as we move to the second half, uh, in verse 16, we'll see that if we're going to live free, we have to embrace God's call to spirit-powered, spirit-guided obedience. So those are our two points this morning. We'll spend a few minutes diving into each one first. If we're going to be free, then we've got to reject the bondage of self-centeredness. In verse 13, we just read it. Paul says, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What is Paul saying? Paul is contrasting a life of freedom with a life of the flesh or what we'll call a self-centered life. What Paul is saying, there's really only two ways to live. I can live free, or I can live according to my flesh. I can live in freedom by trusting Jesus to provide everything I need, or I can use my life to try and attain those things for myself. I can live in freedom by trusting Jesus to give me life, to give me salvation, purpose, security, fulfillment, which he does in the gospel, or I can live in such a way that says I'm ultimately responsible to attain those things for myself. And so here's what this means. Self-centeredness, self-interest is just another word for bondage. It's just another word for slavery. At the beginning of the chapter in verse 1, Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And the slavery, the bondage that Paul is calling attention to here, is a life lived for self. The rat race of trying to attain for myself what only Jesus can and what only Jesus has in the gospel. Life salvation, purpose, security, fulfillment. And if you think about it, uh, most of the ways that we act with self-interest are designed to attain these very things. We overwork because we're convinced that what we do determines our value. Or on the other side, we overwork because we're convinced that true security equates to financial independence, to having the funds to insulate myself from whatever the world may bring. 
Or we live a life on social media of trying to portray a certain facade because the way others view us determines our value and our worth, we think. Or we throw ourselves into raising the best kids possible, the smartest, the most athletic, the most ready for success, the most socially successful, because the offspring we produce, who our kids become, the way they behave, the grades they make, the teams they're on, the awards they win, the colleges they attend, the jobs they get, the spouses they marry, it ultimately reflects something about my worth, about my dignity, about my success. So much of our lives is about leveraging them so that I'm validated. And make no mistake, this is not freedom. This is bondage. And so hear me this morning. Jesus loves you. He really does. Jesus has given you life. Jesus has given you salvation. Jesus has given you purpose. He's given you security. He's given you fulfillment. And he has freed you from having to seek and attain those things for yourself. And the call of freedom is a call to rest in what Jesus is for you and what Jesus has provided you. It's a call to abandon the rat race. But I want us to notice something else. The call to freedom isn't a a call to inactivity. It's not a call to stop living. It's a call to realize that because Jesus gives us true freedom from the rat race, we are now free to leverage everything we have for the sake of others. Because Jesus has given me everything, I don't need one thing from life, and I can use it all for the benefit of others. If you look back at verse 13 with me, At the end of it, Jesus says, through love, serve one another. Think about this. The life of freedom is a life of service. Think about how paradoxical that sounds. The life of freedom is a life of service. And this word here, serve, it's it's actually a pretty tame translation of the underlying word that Paul originally wrote in Greek, a a better translation might be, through love, bind yourself to the interest of others. It's the same word that Paul uses of himself throughout his letters where he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus. It involves infinitely more than just simply doing a few things in service of another person. It's a term that means belonging. Paul is a servant of Jesus. He belongs to Jesus. He has bound himself to the interests of Jesus. So to through love serve one another is to bind ourselves to the interests of one another. And so think about the argument that Paul is making. Christ has made us free by giving us everything we need. And true freedom in turn is binding yourself to the interest of others. And I know what some of you are thinking. That sounds crazy. That sounds impossible. And it is. Unless, in Jesus, I have everything I need. And I'm free from needing to squeeze anything out of life for myself. Only then am I actually free 
to drain myself for the interest of others. And that is what Paul says is real freedom. So if we're going to live free, we've got to resist the temptation and the bondage that comes with living self-centered lives. So a few questions for us just to help us process and apply this idea before we move on. One, where are you not resting in Jesus and what he provides and in turn trying to attain those things for yourself? If Jesus has given you everything you need, life, salvation, purpose, security, fulfillment, what are the areas of your life where you're not actually trusting him and looking to him for that and you're actually using your own life in a self-centered way to pursue attaining those things for yourself. What are those areas? Maybe another question for us. Where are we serving, but in ways that we hope we ultimately benefit? Another way to ask this in the American context is, where are you resume building? It's a common thing to serve in such a way that I actually benefit. I get to put something on a piece of paper that says I get credit for this. Jesus would not have been a good American. Jesus would have said that's not service at all. Where are you, where are we resume building? Is it with our kids? Is it with our work? Is it with our relationships? And then maybe the toughest question of all is, What are the areas of your life where you're just downright living selfishly? What are those areas where you've just decided that what you want is what's going to happen? Whatever the cost to you, the cost to your friends, the cost to your family. None of us would say it that bluntly, but make no mistake. When we decide to pursue self-centered, self-interested living, what we're ultimately saying is, Jesus, you haven't provided these things for me. I need to get them myself. Whatever it costs me is fine. So if we're going to live free, we've got to resist the temptation and the bondage that comes with ordering our lives around ourself. Secondly, if we look at verse 16 here, we've got to embrace the call to spirit-empowered, spirit-guided obedience if we're going to be free. Look at verse 16. Look at what Paul says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I want us to notice how Paul structures this entire section, verses 16 through the end of the chapter. The Holy Spirit is mentioned seven times in these verses. And the entire section is bookended by two parallel commands to walk by the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. Paul is calling somebody to attention here, the Spirit. And so why is he doing this? Paul is making it clear that the life of freedom is a life actively lived in the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Throughout this passage, Paul's been contrasting flesh and spirit, freedom and slavery. And right here, he's, he's doubling down, and he's saying that if we truly want to experience and live in freedom, then the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit are crucial and they're central. But I want us to see as well that the Spirit isn't the only character. He's not the only player that Paul mentions. 
Multiple times he mentions the flesh, which we've just talked about for a moment, that that aspect of our being that desires to live self-centeredly, to live in ways that oppose God, that oppose his desires, that ultimately oppose our freedom. And the picture that Paul paints here in this section is one where the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another, violently opposed to each other, each seeking to take us captive to their obedience. And and this is important for us to realize, that there is a war raging, and that nothing less than our freedom is at stake. You know, one of the most dangerous uh, realities I see within myself, in my own heart, and within the church, uh, is the tendency to believe and live as though it's peacetime, that there's no battle being fought that demands my attention and my effort. What Paul is doing here is he's reminding us that our freedom must be fought for, that though Jesus has won freedom for us, the experience and life of living this freedom is a daily battle, a battle to live in the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what this means. Passivity in the Christian life is fundamentally opposed to freedom. Passivity is opposed to freedom. This is why this entire section is framed up by two commands that call us to actively pursue walking in and walking by the Spirit. If we choose not to fight, if we choose to be passive, our natural bent will be to succumb to our flesh and to live in bondage. Now, why does Paul give us these two long lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We, we don't have time this morning to dive in and nuance what each of these things mean. Let me, let me simply say this. These two lists serve as a diagnostic of sorts, a test to show us which of these two, the Spirit or the flesh, we're actually following and serving. So the task for us is to evaluate our lives against these lists to see where we find ourselves. And so let me simplify it. Let me, let me make it really easy for us. The works of the flesh list is fundamentally driven by a life that serves and benefits you. If you look at the, the end product or the motivation of each of those things, self-interest is key. And the fruit of the Spirit, on the other hand, is fundamentally a life that's motivated by and benefits others. So how can I know if I'm walking by the Spirit? How do I know if I'm walking by the flesh? What place does self-interest and does self-benefit occupy in the things you do? That's going to give you a pretty good diagnosis. That's what these two lists are intended to do. We're not supposed to go through each one and say, okay, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do all the bad ones drunkenness and orgies and all that. Okay, a little dissension, it's no big deal, but on the whole, I'm doing okay. That's, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is to say, which of these two is more reflective of your life? Who's at the center of the way you live and what you do? Is it you or is it others? Is it loving God by loving your neighbor? And so the question that remains for us to answer this morning is, how, how do I walk in the power 
and in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. If this is freedom, then how do I live as free? And if we think about it, walking in, walking by the Spirit is simply following the Spirit where he's going, looking to his power to get there. And where is the Spirit going? The Bible testifies page after page, his path is one of honoring and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit's ministry in our lives is to align them with Jesus' desires and his design. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A life of freedom by the Spirit does not free us from obedience. It simply situates obedience in its proper place. Obedience not as a means to attain Jesus' favor, but as the grateful response of already having it. You were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to a life of spirit-empowered, spirit-guided obedience. Free from the burden of your obedience becoming the measuring stick. Free to use your obedience to honor the one who obeyed for you. This is freedom. A life of spirit-empowered, spirit-guided, faithful following of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. So a few questions as we close just to help us process and apply these things. The first one is this, simply, are you taking the call to obedience seriously? Is the call to obey an important one for you? Are you spending time in God's word, getting to know the heart of your gracious Savior, what he wants for you, what he wants from you? Are you making excuses in areas where you know that you're not living in line with what your gracious Savior wants? Are you believing that Jesus knows best in the areas of finances, of sexuality, of relationships? Or are you taking your cues from somewhere else? Are you taking the call to obedience seriously? And then secondly, where are you being passive? Where are you simply letting your flesh win the battle? Are you being passive in the images and the shows and the media that you let enter your heart and your mind through your eyes and your ears? Are you being passive in the calling to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Are you being passive in your calling to be a godly man, a godly woman, a godly spouse, a godly son, a godly daughter? Are you being passive in your calling to be a steward of the resources that God has given to you, the time, the the talents, the gifts? Are you being passive in your exercise of those things for the fame of Jesus and the benefit of others? Where are you being passive? For freedom, Christ has set you free. He set you free into a life of spirit-empowered, spirit-guided obedience. He set you free to resist the bondage of living a self-directed, self-centered, self-interested life. This week I was uh, thinking about this and I kept thinking about this story of one of my favorite missionaries, a man named Jim Elliott. Some of you may have heard of him before. Uh, He and a number of other families in the early 1950s uh, left America and moved to Ecuador 
in order to minister to a group of Indians that were known to be hostile to outsiders. And a bunch of people told him, you shouldn't go, it's only going to end bad for you. He took his wife and children. Uh, And then a few years into his ministry there, all of the men of that group were killed by this Indian tribe to leave behind their wives and all of their children. And people cried that it was a tragedy, it was foolish. What were these men thinking doing something like that? And in the gathering of his journals and other things, they, they found something that he had written in the days leading up to the decision to take his family and this team and move to Ecuador. And this is what he said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Here's a man who knew what he had in Jesus was all that he needed and was therefore free to follow the Spirit into leveraging his life for the sake of others. You know, few of us will be international missionaries, and that's okay. Even fewer of us, I hope, are martyred for our faith. But you know what? Every single one of us can be free. All of us can look to Jesus to give us every single thing that we need and in turn pour ourselves out in love for God and love for our neighbors. And so my prayer for us this week is that it would be so. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for this time to gather around your word. I thank you for the privilege it is to be a part of your people. What a privilege it is to be called into the gospel, to be free from the rat race of having to squeeze every drop out of our lives, to attain that which you actually give us and you give it to us in spades. And so this morning, turn our eyes to you. Help us to look to you, Jesus, to what you've won for us in your life, in your death, in your resurrection, and help us to resist. Help us to resist the bondage that comes with living for self. Help us to leverage all that we have by the power and guidance of the Spirit to obey you in the service of God and in the service of others. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen.